G'day again, everyone. Our sermon's a little bit different tonight. We're uh, taking a break from the Book of Romans and we're thinking about this topic together. So uh, you'll need to jump around a bit in your Bible. So keep your Bibles open at Colossians 3 there. But uh, if you've still got a piece of paper or your finger back in Isaiah, we're going to jump back there later on. Uh, And it's also worth having the outline so you can uh, see where we're going. But now I'm going to pray. So let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you for this opportunity to think about this important topic uh, and as serious as it is, as we think about the sin in our life and the uh, virtues you would want us to put on instead of them, uh, we pray that you will give us humble hearts that are ready to be challenged and we also pray that you'll help me to teach your word clearly and faithfully. Uh, And so Father, we pray this will be a really helpful few weeks together as we think on this topic and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't suppose you've ever heard of a guy called John Darwin, not Charles Darwin, John Darwin. There's no reason you would have heard of him. He was an English school teacher who died in a canoeing accident in 2002. Uh, They actually made a movie about him. It was called Canoe Man. That was the name. I thought they could have come up with a better name than that, but they didn't. But anyway, when he died, it left his wife, Anna, uh, able to collect a life insurance policy of 250,000 pounds. That's about 500,000 pounds. Australian dollars uh, and of course you would think that would be the end of, uh, of John's story but then five years later in 2007 a real estate agent in Panama took a photo of a couple who he was showing a unit to in Panama City and he put it up on a website just to show people that people were interested in buying property off him uh, and here's a photo of the couple he was selling this is the actual photo if we got it there there you go And uh, you see, someone in England, for some reason, was browsing Panamanian real estate sites, uh, and they saw that photo, and they said, gee, that looks a lot like my friend Anna, and gee, that looks like her husband, John, but it can't be John, because he died in a canoeing accident five years ago. Even now, you can see John looking a bit sheepish in the photo, you should look at it, can't you? And so, an investigation got underway, and it turns out that John hadn't actually died. He'd faked his death... And then, and there's a part of me that actually admires this guy, just his, his brazenness. Because this is what he did. He just moved into the flat next door. So like, he didn't even tra- go around the world. He just, he changed his name and said, I'll just move next door. We'll effectively just stay married. But now we get 250,000 pounds to pay off our mortgage and go on trips to Panama. And it seems invest in real estate or whatever it is they were doing. So in 2008, six years after his death, Uh, The law caught up with John and Anna. They both ended up going to jail for six years and having to pay back all the money. Isn't that just a great story? I love those sort of stories. Uh, Why do I share it? Well, we've been looking through Romans uh, over the last few months. And for the last few weeks in chapter 6, we've seen this incredible truth that when we put our trust in Jesus, we are not just, if you never say just, we, we are not just forgiven uh, we're not just saved, we're not just declared righteous by God, as wonderful as that is. You know, I've been using that phrase, justified by faith, declared right with God by faith in Jesus. More than that even happens. When we put our faith in Jesus, we die to sin with him. That's what we're seeing. And we're born again. Uh, we become a new person. And that new person, so cast back to what we saw in Romans 6 a couple of weeks ago, that new person, it said, is no longer a slave to sin. Uh, That new person that we've now become lives to serve Jesus. 
And it's so important to grasp this. That change is not some just sort of fake swifty, like like John Darwin tried to pull. That change in you is not just a metaphor. It's not a, a, a legal fiction. You don't just move next door and just keep living the same life. It is a real change that impacts everything about us. It impacts our heart, it impacts our mind, it impacts our our whole life. So we've seen this so clearly in Romans 6 over the last few weeks. You know how he kept asking those questions, what then, should we keep on sinning? Uh, and And he said, look, the person who has come to know Jesus doesn't say, oh great, now I've been forgiven, Jesus' death has paid for my sin, let's keep sinning. He says, no, 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 if you, you, you can't think like that. That's, if you think like that, it shows you you haven't actually come to know Jesus. You, the Christian doesn't say, oh, great, God has forgiven me. I'm certain of my place in his kingdom. Now I'll just keep living how I used to live. He says, no, if you think like that, you should worry because it seems like you haven't actually come to know Jesus. You've not, you've not come and put your faith in Jesus. So no, the person who's come to know Jesus says, praise God, Jesus has died for me. Praise God that he has saved me because I could never earn that. Praise God. But now that I'm a new person, now I want to live for Jesus. Now I want to live my new life for him. And that's what we're thinking about in this little series over the next few weeks. How do I live that new life? It's really interesting. Nearly all the letters in the New Testament, you can, you can test me on this and go and look at all of them. Nearly all of them have exactly the same shape to their argument. The way they work is they explain what Jesus has done for us first. They tell us about God. They tell us about Jesus. They tell us about all that they've done for us and how we receive that by faith, how we trust in Jesus. And then nearly always they then have, about halfway through, a therefore. And therefore, now that you know Jesus, now live like this. Because you've come to know Jesus, now live like this. So I've picked out Colossians as one example of that for today. So come with me to Colossians 3. If you don't have a Bible, put up your hand. One of our friends at the back will get one too. You want to be following along. Uh, You see, in the first two chapters of Colossians, he's talked about the wonder of who Jesus is. He's talked about what Jesus has done for us. Then he says, chapter 3, verse 5, Therefore, put to death what belongs to your worldly nature. Because you've come to know Jesus, therefore, put to death what belongs to your worldly nature. Our worldly nature is our old sinful self. Sometimes it gets called the flesh. It's who we were before we came to know Jesus. And so then what he does is he lists out all sorts of sins there. You see them there in verse 5 and then down in in verse 8 and down to verse 9. And all these sins like sexual immorality, like greed, like like anger and unhelpful speech. He says, get rid of these things that Jesus has died to save you from. Get rid of these things that were a part of who you were before you came to know Jesus. But then there's another therefore. Look down at verse 12. And he says, therefore, God's chosen ones, holy and love. So he's saying, therefore, now that you understand who you really are in Christ, loved by God, chosen by him, what do you do? You put on heartfelt compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Put off the old things. And put on these new things that should be the marks of someone who knows Jesus. So that's what we're thinking about over this little series. We're getting very practical. We're thinking about how do we go about putting off the things that are a part of our old self and putting on the things of the new person. But as we do that, we're going to focus in uh, on some particular areas that we're calling respectable sins and neglected virtues. Now, what do we mean by that? 
Well, it's funny, or it would be funny if it wasn't so sad, but when we start to think about putting off sin, we're really, really good at seeing sin in other people. We're really, really good at looking out there and seeing the way other people sin, but not so good at seeing it in ourselves. That is the universal human experience. And we shouldn't be surprised about that because Jesus made it clear that was our problem and he said it over and over again to us. What are some of the most famous words Jesus said? Don't judge lest you be judged. What are some of the other famous words Jesus said? Take the log out of your own eye before you worry about the speck in someone else's. See, that is the universal human condition. We're much better at seeing sin out there than in here. And sometimes as Christians, we can focus on the sins that we think are clearly bad sins. We sort of rank them. I won't ask you to list out what you think are the worst sins from sort of 1 to 10, but we do that. And then we focus on the sins that are obvious out in the world. So at the moment, the area of human sexuality is really prominent, isn't it? And so we've rightly got to teach about that because our world is obsessed with it and our world tries to call good evil and evil good in that area. And the Bible has lots of things to say about that. But it's amazing how much, as much as the Bible does talk about what we think of as big ticket sins, much more often it challenges us to consider the sins that we just sort of think are normal. The sins that are just a part of the normal way you live your life. It challenges us to think about how you treat people at home, how you treat your brothers and sisters here at church, how you relate to people in general and often it gets us to consider the sins we would often tend to minimise or justify or normalise in ourselves. Jerry Bridges in his book Respectable Sins, uh, it's already come up on the screen, he said this, it's quite long but follow along, I think it's really perceptive. He said, of course, this is a broad brush observation and there are many happy exceptions. Now, he's talking about North American Christianity about 10 or 15 years ago. So, but I think it applies to all Christians everywhere. He says, but on the whole, we Christians, we appear to be more concerned about the sins of society than we are the sins of the saints. So the saints are Christians. We're, we're saints in Christ. In fact, he says, we often indulge in what I call the respectable or even acceptable sins without any sense of sin. If we go to the next slide. So he says, our gossip or unkind words about a brother and sister in Christ roll easily off our tongues without any awareness of wrongdoing. We harbour hurts over wrongs long past without any effort to forgive as God has forgiven us. We look down our religious noses at sinners in society without any sense of a humble, there but for the grace of God, go I. It's a really perceptive comment, isn't it? Because, you see, we are all Pharisees at heart. You see, we're all, we all find it much easier to see the sin out there in them than the sin in here in me. So we can look at the big obvious sins that our world tolerates and we can pat ourselves on the back that we are not like that. It might be drunkenness, it might be sexual immorality, it might be adultery, big obvious sins where it's easy to see that's a sin. But of course we need to teach on those sins because just because they're obvious doesn't mean we don't still struggle with them and we struggle with those sins just as much as any others. But when the Bible lists out the things God hates and then it lists out the things God loves to see in his people, there are all sorts of other areas that are perhaps less easy to just sort of tick the box and say, I've dealt with that one. 
Uh, things that are more subtle, perhaps easier to just ignore, and perhaps that's because they're much harder to pin down and see in ourselves. So look back at the list in Colossians chapter 3. Look back from verse 5. So yes, there's sexual immorality and lust there, but there's also greed, and there's also anger, and there's hurtful words and their lies, sins that are much easier to excuse in ourselves. So that's going to be our focus over this little series, just the next few weeks. The sins that perhaps we are too quick to tolerate and accept in ourselves. But I don't want us to just focus on sin. That would be a very depressing five or six weeks of sermons. Uh, I don't want us to just focus on the putting off side of things because Jesus has much higher hopes for us than that. See, the Pharisee says, yeah, yeah, I'm going to put off sin. But Jesus says, I don't just want you to put off sin. I want you to put on better things. I want you to put on what we might call virtues in their place. So Jesus doesn't just want you to not hurt people in what you say. That would be a good start. He wants you to put on encouraging words instead. He doesn't just want us to put off worry and envy. He wants us to put on contentment instead. But a bit like many of the sins that Jesus hates are not taken seriously in our society... Well, in the same way, often the virtues Jesus wants us to put on are not valued in our world. Just think about it. Who does Jesus say will inherit the earth? The meek. Meekness is not seen as something to be cultivated by our world. Meekness is weak. But Jesus says, that's what I want you to be. Blessed are the meek. Look at the list further down in Colossians chapter 3 from verse 12. You see, the sort of things he wants us to value are meekness, compassion, kindness, gentleness, patience, forgiveness, love. Those are not the things that get you ahead in this world. They're not the things that the world looks for and says, that's how you'll succeed in this life. So each week for these next few weeks, we're going to think about putting off one respectable sin. We're going to think about greed. We're going to think about anger. We're going to think about judgmentalism. We're going to think about different sins that we tend to tolerate and think about how to put them off. But we're also going to think about putting on the corresponding somewhat neglected virtue. So that's the plan. I hope it sounds good. I hope you're excited. Well, at least I hope you're sort of excited because it's actually going to be a bit difficult, this, because it's actually going to poke us and challenge us a bit. So I hope you're sort of torn. But anyway, that's the plan. Well, now for the rest of tonight's talk, I want to lay the groundwork for the rest of the series. See, before we think about the specific sins, before we think about greed or anger or whatever, we need to think about the bigger picture. How do you actually go about doing this? How do you put off sin and put on holiness? See, if that's what we want to do as Christians, how do we go about doing it? What are the steps we need to take if we're going to deal with the sin in our lives and grow to be more like Jesus? So I've got a few, hopefully, brief thoughts to get us going in this series. I've got three fundamental truths we need to remember and then three practical helps to rely on. So the three fundamental truths. The first is this. Don't ever forget that the starting point is grace. This is so important, I'm going to repeat what I said. Don't ever forget that the starting point is grace. We are not trying to put off sin and put on virtues to make God love us. See, we do it because we already know his love. My fear in this series is that people might come for the first time, people who don't yet know Jesus might come along and they might think, oh, being a Christian is about being a better person. Being a Christian is about trying to do a bit better and, and not sin. No, no, no. 
Being a Christian is coming to know the love of God that he has already shown you in Jesus. Don't ever get this round the wrong way. Remember what we learned in Romans, back in Romans chapter 5? When did Jesus die for us? While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Don't ever forget that. Titus 2 tells us it is the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It's only when we know God's forgiveness, it's only when we know his mercy that we're actually able to change to live for him. Christians get this wrong all the time. And we fall into the trap of the Pharisees. We think, just give me some laws to follow. Just just let me follow some laws. That'll keep people godly. The Pharisees could not please God because God isn't interested in legalism. He isn't interested in people who think they can be good enough for him. He's interested in humble, repentant sinners who find his forgiveness and then seek to live for him. And so as we think about these sins and as we recognise sin in ourselves, the first step before we think about how to put sin off is to thank God that Jesus died for that sin. Don't ever forget the starting point is grace. But as forgiven sinners, the second point, we need to make sure we keep seeing sin how God sees sin. It's really, really easy to get hardened to the sin in our lives. It's really easy to become blind to the sin in our own lives or just accept sin as normal, especially if we compare ourselves to the world. I have a theory about this. I think too often, we modern Christians, we think being godly is just being a little bit better than our non-Christian friends. So we say, let's look at the world and we'll just be a bit better. I always make up my statistics, so I just, let's, let's be 20% better than the world. So let's just be, if I'm 20% more generous than the world, well, God can't be upset with that. You know, if I'm just 20% more gracious, if I'm just 20% less judgmental, our world is miles away from God and moving further away. Our world, think about this, our world doesn't just tolerate sin, it now calls sin good and it calls good things evil. Being 20% better than our world is a little bit, you need to know your geography to understand this, is a little bit like saying, I'm aiming to be in Port Douglas, I'm aiming to be on Cape York, and then thinking, I'll get to Hornsby, I'll just stop there. Yes, you've moved, you know, an hour, but you've still got 30 hours to go. You see, see, if you just say, I'm going to be a bit better than the world, you'll only get as far as Hornsby, you'll never get to Cape York. I hope you understand. You can look at a map later if you don't get it. You see, we will just tolerate sin in ourselves if the world is our point of comparison. But God looks at our sin very differently. That's why we had that Old Testament reading before. Come with me to Isaiah chapter 6. Flick back there now. Isaiah chapter 6. You see, now, to get to Isaiah, if you go as far as the big books of Psalms or Proverbs, turn back a bit towards the New Testament. If you're still in any of the other prophet-like names, keep going back because Isaiah's the start of them. So get to Isaiah, or you can look at the table of contents. Isaiah chapter 6. Now think about this, Isaiah was a godly man. Isaiah was God's prophet, one of the greatest prophets. The, The sinners in Israel would have hated him, but godly people would have said, Isaiah, he's a guy worth following. Then Isaiah comes into the presence of the holy God and look at his reaction in verse 5. Then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and because my eyes have seen the King, 
the Lord of hosts. Woe is me, says Isaiah. See, when Isaiah came into the presence of the Holy God, he suddenly realised just how awful his sin actually was. See, out amongst the people, Isaiah was probably the godliest guy around. But in the presence of the Holy God, Isaiah's sin was exposed. You see, that sin that seems normal while we hang out with other sinners, that sin that seems normal while we hang out with other unclean people, that sin has its awfulness exposed when we stand in the presence of God. See, I need to remember, my sin grieves God. Understand this, even my respectable sins grieve God. In Ephesians 4, we won't turn there now because we're going to look at it in one of the later talks, but in Ephesians 4, Paul is talking about anger and hurtful words. Okay, so understand this, he's not talking about murder, he's not talking about sexual debauchery, he's not talking about whatever you might list up there as the, the bad sins, we're talking gossip, we're talking grumbling, we're talking swearing. And he says then in Ephesians 4 verse 30, when he does those things, it grieves God's Holy Spirit. Do you feel the power of that sentence? We have the Holy Spirit of God within us. I feel the power of this. When I say that unkind word, I am grieving God. When I gossip, I am grieving God. We have the Holy Spirit within us, and so when we sin, it grieves Him. It's just a reminder that the sin we often tolerate, the sin we justify in ourselves or just ignore, grieves our loving God. We need to see sin the way God sees it. You see, we'll only ever want to put off sin and put on holiness if we actually understand how awful our sin, even our respectable sin, actually is. Third thing, third key truth to remember. And that is, remember that this is our constant battle. We need to remember that we will struggle with sin until we are raised with Christ. I wish I had a different message to share. I wish that that when you become a Christian, God zapped you and then you were perfect. But that is not the way God has made it. Instead, it is a constant battle. If you are someone who has come to know Jesus, on the one hand... You are a new person in Christ, praise God. On the one hand, you are no longer a slave to sin. Amazingly, you have the Holy Spirit at work in you. How incredible is that? You have the Holy Spirit working in you to convict you of your sin, to to push you more towards Jesus, to help you put off sin and put on righteousness. Praise God for the gift of his Holy Spirit. But we've not been made perfect yet. We have the Spirit, but we still have these fleshly, sinful bodies. We are both sinners and saints at the same time. And so the Christian life is this battle. It's this tension. The Apostle Paul had this struggle. It'll come up on the screen. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. He said, For the flesh, that's your your old sinful self, desires what is against the spirit, and the spirit desires what is against the flesh. These are opposed to each other, so that you don't do what you want. I find that verse is one of the most realistic and oddly comforting verses in the Bible. The reason I love it is because it tells me my experience is normal. My experience of struggling with sin is normal. 
The fact that, that in, in Romans 7, he expands that. We're going to come back to it later in the year. and spends a whole chapter where he says, sometimes I do what I don't want to do and I don't do what I want to do and this is my constant battle. You see, I love that verse as, as hard as it is because it tells me my experience is normal and yours is as well, I hope. So when you struggle with sin, don't think, oh, I'm not a Christian. I mustn't be a Christian. No, no, no. The very fact that you struggle is a sign that you have the Holy Spirit at work in you. What's the worry is when you sin and don't care? Because when you sin and don't care, that is troubling. Because that suggests you haven't come to know Jesus. You don't even have this battle. The Christian life is a battle, but it's not a losing battle. With the help of the Holy Spirit, we need to take responsibility for putting off sin and putting on righteousness. So look at how Paul puts it in Galatians 5.16. He says, So I say then, walk by the Spirit, or walk in step with the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desires of the flesh. You see, that, this is the thing. We have this battle, but it's not a losing battle. We're not slaves to sin anymore. We are able to seek to walk in step with the Spirit. Yes, we'll struggle. Yes, we'll sometimes fail. But we are able to work at putting off sin and putting on righteousness. See, what does a Christian life look like? It doesn't look like this. We've got a graph. I've done this for the people that think visually. I, I put a lot of effort into these graphs, so please be thankful. Actually, what I did was I rang Troy and said, this is what I want. Can you make it for me? No. Anyway, there should actually be a graph before this because I think some Christians think, you see how that line works, godliness and time. You, you understand graphs. You all did maths up to year nine at school at least or something. You know. Anyway, the point is some Christians think, oh, I become a Christian and then I become godly. No, that's not how it works. But it doesn't look like that either. It's not this easy upward path where, oh, dealt with that sin, put on that virtue, dealt with that sin, put on that virtue. No, 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 we will struggle sometimes with the same sins all of our life. The Christian life instead looks like this. That's the Christian life, except there should be a million of those ups and downs. Because the difference, sometimes we, we put off a sin and then it comes back and bites us years later. And we struggle with it again. And, and, and that is the reality of the Christian life. But do you notice something about that graph? It's an upward trajectory. Sometimes in the short term, you can't see that because you're struggling with a particular sin. But we have the Holy Spirit at work in us. And the Christian life is an upward trajectory. It's not, we're not defeatist, even as we do struggle with sin. I hope you find that helpful, especially if you think visually. Uh, the Christian life is a battle, but one where we work with the Holy Spirit to put off sin and put on righteousness. So there's the three fundamental truths that I want you to remember each week. Because my fear is, if you just think about the individual sins each week, you'll forget the bigger picture. I want you to have those three fundamental truths as we think about anger, as we think about gossip, as we think about greed. Think about those fundamentals. But now as I close, I want to look at three quick, final, practical helps God gives us to fight the battle. I'm just going to say something here before I do, because the sinful nature will be at work in some of us at this point, calling us to be cynical. And there's a cynicism in Christians that I say, I know what he's going to say here. He's going to say the three practical tips are read your Bible, go to church and pray. I'm nothing if not predictable. That is what I'm going to say. But that's because they are the three great gifts God gives us to fight this battle. But more than that, I want you to actually not be a cynic like that because there's something that happens as, you, as you're a Christian for any length of time, especially if you're already prone to cynicism. 
is you don't actually see how you're not actually taking advantage of the gifts God has given you. So I want you to listen with open ears as I talk about each of these. So the first is, if we want to fight the battle, we must fill ourselves with the Word of God. It is absolutely amazing how our minds naturally revert to thinking like our old self. It just, it just happens. We just revert back to the flesh. The human heart is deceptive. There's a famous quote, what the heart loves... The will then chooses and the mind then justifies. That's absolutely true, isn't it? We've all experienced it. We're, we're very, very good at saying, I want that, so I'll choose it and then I'll justify it. I'll even change what the Bible says to justify what I want. And so the only antidote to this, this way we justify our own desires, the only antidote to that is to constantly realign our minds with God's word. We'll only keep seeing sin the way God sees sin if we keep letting God shape our picture of the world, letting God shape our picture of ourselves, and if we keep being confronted by images of His holiness like we read in Isaiah 6 before. See, that is the point of that great verse in 2 Timothy 3.16. You know this verse. He says, all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, for training in righteousness. That is what God's Word does in us. God's Word challenges us. It's as we read the Scriptures, we're poked and prodded and we're reminded of God's picture of reality. Sometimes Christians say to me, I've read the Bible. I know the Gospel. I know the truths about Jesus. I know who Jesus is. I know He died for me. I know He rose again. I know all that. I don't need to read it every day. I don't need to listen to sermons. I don't need to study it with my brothers and sisters in gospel teams. Can I say, there has never been a more stupid thing than when someone has said that. And yet I hear it so regularly from so-called Christians. What a stupid thing to say. This is how God speaks to us. And when you say, I don't need that, it's a bit like saying, I know my family, so I don't need to talk to them. I know my family, so I don't need to listen to them. Sadly, some of you might, oh, I don't want to get to that. We'll get to that in maybe another respectable sin. See, this is how your heavenly father speaks to you. And 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you have rubbish coming into your brain. Just by walking down the street, your brain is filled with rubbish. Just by turning on your phone, your brain is filled with rubbish. Just by turning on the, the computer, your brain is filled with rubbish. We need to listen to our Father who loves us and we need to hear him speak to us every day. Because the world is constantly talking to us. We need to recalibrate our minds with God's word. And here's the thing, and this is what I meant by don't just sort of be cynical at this point. When you've been a Christian for any length of time, you can start to read the Bible in what I call a perfunctory way. You just read the Bible to, and you just go, yeah, yeah, know that, know that, know that. I find it in gospel teams all the time where I'm leading a study and I say, what does that say? And people, instead of looking down there, they go, yeah, 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 that's right. I remember, yeah, that's what that means. They're not actually grappling with God's word. We need to read God's word to hear it afresh, not with that, I already know that attitude. We need to actually let it challenge us and actually being open to having our minds shaped and our hearts shaped and our will shaped. That all relates to the next point. If we want to fight the battle, we need one another. I've called this prioritise fellowship. We're going to talk about this at Invest, but God has given us this incredible gift of brothers and sisters in Christ. God has given us each other to help us 
to encourage us to live for Jesus, to keep trusting in him, to encourage us to, to put off our sin and put on godliness. Now, sometimes that happens through us directly challenging one another, rebuking one another. Sometimes we actually need to do that for one another. Always with grace, always aware of the log in our own eye and the speck in the other person's. And, and so part of dealing with sin in our lives is actually asking brothers and sisters to help us, to, to keep us accountable. Saying to a brother, call me out when, when you hear me saying unhelpful things. Challenge me. Saying to a sister, can you, can you ask me how I'm going with the way I treat my family and the way I speak at home? Check in with me on that. But well before that, well before we get to keeping each other accountable, challenging one another, rebuking one another, well before that, fellowship does something far more fundamental than that for us. Just by being with our brothers and sisters in Christ, it reminds us who we really are. Just by being with our brothers and sisters in Christ, it reminds us we are children of God, not slaves of sin anymore. It reminds us that the ways of the world are not our ways anymore. Sadly, it's actually easier to illustrate this with a sad negative example than with a positive example. See, the sad reality is, and how many times have I seen this? I, I can't count. And in fact, during this week as I prepared this sermon, I actually stopped and went back and prayed for several people who used to be a part of our church, who, who I, I don't know where they are anymore. Because you see, sadly, people often intellectually still believe the gospel, at least they start off that way. They still believe the Bible's view of sin. They believe what the Bible says is right is right and what it says is wrong is wrong. But they get out of the habit of Christian fellowship. And they start to let other things get in the way of just that regular commitment to meeting with their brothers and sisters in Christ, week in, week out, at here at Gospel Team, that sort of thing. And before you know it, every week at church becomes every second week, becomes once in a while, becomes, I'm a Christian but I don't go to church. What's interesting though, when you then talk to that person a year later, is they start to, they've started to tolerate things in their life that don't please God. They don't even realise it, they just tolerate things in their life that don't please God. And more than that, what then happens, really sadly, is they start to justify them and they start to reinterpret their understanding of the Bible to justify their sin. I'm sure you see this, I'm sure you've seen this in other people, I'm sure there's people you came to church with here who you've seen that in. And I'm sure you see it in yourself on a small scale. You know when you have periods where you spend a lot of time with your non-Christian friends, spend a lot of time with non-Christians... And for whatever reason, you miss church, you miss gospel team for a while. Suddenly, out of nowhere, you just find a swear word drops out in your conversation. And you think, where did that come from? That's just because it's normalised, because that's the world you've been living in. Or, or you find you're just less thankful and you're more of a grumbler than you used to be. Or you start to be more focused on money than you used to be because it's just been normalised. That's the air you've been breathing. That's the world you've been living in. Or you drink more. I think that's a really common one where Christians just start to drink more because they're just hanging out with their non-Christian friends. It's just been normalised. God gives us one another for so many reasons. There are so many blessings about being a part of God's people. But one is to just remind us week in, week out, this is who I really am. This is who I really am. And this is who my true family is. And this is what I want to be. I, I don't want to tolerate these things. I want to put off sin. And put on godliness. Last practical step. Sadly, I think this is a little bit forgotten by many modern Christians. Uh, so the third one is, we need to cultivate 
the biblical habit of confession. When I talk about confession, I'm not talking about the Roman Catholic idea where you go and sit in a box and talk to the priest. So no one has to come and meet me here at church this week to confess your sin to me. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about between you and God. That's what I'm talking about. So look at 1 John chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. It says, If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he, God, is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. See, here at church, we regularly pray prayers of confession together, where together we say we are sinners and thank you for the forgiveness we have in Jesus. Now help me to live for him. But I'm not certain how many modern Christians confess their sin to God in their own personal prayer each day. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I might in five weeks' time after this series, but I'm not going to ask for a show of hands now. I want to tell you it is such a vital part of the Christian life and is a habit worth cultivating. To just sit down regularly and take stock. To sit down regularly, go back over the day and, and, and confess to God the sin in our life and then thank him for the forgiveness we have in Christ but also ask for the help of his Holy Spirit in putting off that sin and putting on righteousness. So just sitting down saying, God, I'm sorry for my harsh words to that person at, at work today. At the time, I thought it was justified, but I know it doesn't please you, and I know that's not, I shouldn't have done it. Thank you for forgiving me. Please help me to be more self-controlled. Sit down and saying, Heavenly Father, as I think about my day, I realise I've been getting caught up in greed and coveting. I'm always wanting things. Help me remember I have all I need. Help me be content. Heavenly Father, as I, as I think about today, I just think about all the times I, 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 I thought thoughts that, that where I thought ill of other people rather than sought to encourage them. I'm sorry. Thank you for the forgiveness I have in Christ. Help me to put off those thoughts and put on encouraging thoughts. You see, God knows our sins already. God knows what's happening in here. He knows what's happening here. He knows what you say. He knows what you do. He doesn't need you to tell him about your sin. But we confess them for our sake, because the reality is we cannot deal with our sin on our own. We can't pay the price for it. We can only trust in Jesus to do that. And we need his Holy Spirit to help us put it off and put on our new self. Confession is such a vital habit. And if it's not part of your prayer life, I want to encourage you, start it now. Start it this week. That's enough for tonight. Uh, I hope you're, as I say, sort of looking forward to this series, uh, because it is going to be uncomfortable because we're going to think about sins that we all struggle with. But this week, I want you to do some homework. Very small amount of homework. Just take some time this week to think about, consider yourself and think, what are the respectable sins that I've been tolerating in my life? What are the respectable sins I've been tolerating in my life? But then also, what are the virtues that I really want to be cultivating in my life? Do you do that before next week? And then we're going to come back and think about some of these specific areas. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you that the starting point is grace because we are all very aware of our own sin. So we thank you that we do not come to you seeking to earn our salvation, but we come to you because you have already sent your Son to pay the price for our sin. You have already justified us, declared us righteous. And so now, Father, help us to live the life you have saved us to live. But Father, we know that all too often we tolerate sin in our life and we don't seek after the virtues you want us to put on 
So over this next few weeks, help us to be honest with ourselves. Help us to be willing to have your word challenge us so that we might actually seek to do some business of putting off sin and putting on righteousness. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.